Today, the Lord does not expect a welcome in religion, but He surely appreciates His lovers, His seekers, those who enjoy Him, not in the temple, but in their little house. That's where He is. Welcome to Life Study, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Life Study is a study of the Bible emphasizing life. Jesus said in John 6.63, The words I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. Life Study is the fruit of over 70 years of ministry by Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Watchman Nee began this ministry in China in the 1920s and continued it until his imprisonment and eventual martyrdom. Witness Lee brought this ministry to the United States in 1962. Before we join Witness Lee with today's Life Study of John, we would like to give you our toll-free number through which you may obtain a free copy of today's message. That toll-free number is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 1-888-543-3788. With us in the studio once again is Ron Kangas. Ron has been an editor with Living Stream Ministry for over 20 years. Ron, we are in John 7 today, and the Lord is addressing a large crowd again. In chapter 6, he had a large crowd that was hungry, but the crowd in chapter 7 is a thirsty crowd. The Gospel of John frequently uses the feasts as a background for the presentation of Christ, the Son of God, as life to us. In chapter 6, the background was the Feast of Passover the first of the annual feasts. In chapter 7, the background is the Feast of Tabernacles, the last of the annual feasts, a time of celebration and joy and, in a sense, success in the harvest. The Lord uses this feast as a background to address the need of the thirsty and to present life as the unique capacity to quench the thirst of human beings. That's the overall background for the revelation of Christ in chapter 7. And now here's Witness Lee. Now, we come to the crucial point this morning. Lives cry to the thirsty ones. After the feast on the last day, which was the great day. The Lord stood up to cry. And the last day signifies the ending of all the enjoyment of any success of the human life. Regardless, you will have what kind of success. You have to realize there will be a last day. Everything will have an end. So don't be satisfied with what you have. You have to realize that everything you have will end. Even your life will end. That is the last day. And the big last day is what? The Lord will set up the judgment. The cry was this. Any man thirst, come and drink. Who is not thirsty? Everybody thirsts. Come and drink. Chapter 4 says, 
if you drink the living water, there'll be a well or spring within you, welling up unto eternal life. But here in chapter seven, the Lord's word has gone a little further. He says, "Anyone that drinks of Him will have the flow of the rivers of water of life." Why? Because the unique river of the living water is the Holy Spirit. Out of this unique river. Many rivers will flow out. One river is the river of peace. One river is the river of joy. The other river is the river of comfort, and the other river is the river of righteousness. Another is the river of light. Another is the river of holiness. Another is the river of love. Another is the river of patience. Another is of humility. Another is of wife submission to the husband. Another is husband loving the wives. This is Christ as life. This is the changing of death into life. Okay, let's pause here. I'm really intrigued by the living water. What intrigues me is that in chapter four, the water of life is a spring, but in chapter seven, the spring has become rivers. How do we get from a spring to rivers of water? The emphasis here, it seems to me. Is on what the living water does inside our being. In chapter four, we have the living water within us. A fountain is installed in us that springs up. In chapter seven, we have rivers of living water flowing out of us to supply the thirsty people around us. Specifically, though, your question was how to get from a spring to rivers. First, we need to be filled with the spring. Then, we need to be open to allow the rivers to flow out of us. Experientially, this is somewhat deep, because the background to John seven is the smitten rock. That went with the children of Israel in the wilderness, and that rock was smitten to release the flow of living water. And it's reminiscent of John nineteen verse thirty four, where blood and water came out of the Lord's pierced side. That rock represents Christ, who was smitten by the rod of God's righteous law when He was on the cross for the release of life. What I'm getting at is this: we have the living water within us, but we often keep it bottled up inside of us. Sometimes we need to experience the cross breaking us, opening us, just as the Lord was broken open, so that the divine content in our spirit has a way to flow out. So to get from a 
a spring or a fountain to a river. We need to drink. We need to be filled, and we need to open up through faith and through the breaking of the cross, that the divine life within us has a way to come out. So this is for those who mean business, who are not only concerned with their satisfaction by having a spring in them, but are burdened for the release of the divine life through the release of their regenerated spirit that contains the divine life, even if this means, or especially if this means, that we need to be experiencing the cross to break the shell of our outer man, to release God who is in us as life. Let's rejoin Witness Lee. Another point that is very, very important, the spirit was not yet. Many, many Christians, even the Christian leaders, start to say they don't understand this word. So King James Version was bothered by this. It added a word was not yet given. You read it. The word given in italics, that means in Greek, there was not such a word. It doesn't mean was not yet given, but it means was not yet. The spirit of the glorified Jesus came and was breathed into the disciples by the Lord in the evening on the day of his resurrection. Whom was the Lord glorified? He was glorified when he was resurrected. In resurrection, the Lord became the life-giving spirit with the essence and reality of the incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection of Christ. Now, the Spirit of God has become the Spirit of the incarnated and resurrected Jesus Christ. Now, the Spirit of Jesus Christ is God reaching out to touch the human beings. Coming out to reach human beings with what? With divinity plus humanity plus the effectiveness of his all-inclusive death and with the element of resurrection. Before Jesus was resurrected, such a spirit was not yet. But the Spirit of God was there already. In the past, I illustrated in this way, with uh, a glass of pure water. Nothing but pure water. But after that, <laughs> it passes through one station, and the people put in some milk. And pass on another station, the people put in some honey. And pass on another station, the people put in some other element. 
Eventually, this glass of water is no more just a glass of pure water. It is a glass of the all-inclusive drink, including water, milk, tea, honey. You see, before this glass passed through all the stations, such a wonderful drink was not yet. But the <laughs> pure water in the glass was there already, without other ingredients. The Spirit promised by the Lord Jesus in chapter 14, verses 16 to 17, and 739, is not the Spirit merely with the divinity as his content, but with the divinity plus humanity plus his all-inclusive death plus the resurrection and plus the ascension. Hallelujah! Now, we do not only have the Spirit of God, but also the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Such an all-inclusive spirit will give us the flow of rivers of water of life. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. I tell you, in this all-inclusive spirit, there is some medicine. <laughs> some killing medicine. The killing death of Christ is in the Holy Spirit today. The more you get the all-inclusive spirit, I tell you, just after two minutes, you feel the spirit killing within you. Killing what? Killing your bad temper toward your wife. Killing your pride. Killing your selfishness. Killing a large thing within you. Not only so. In this all-inclusive drink, there is the nourishment. There's the nourishing ingredient. It is this spirit that we all need. Let's pause here again and look at this point, Ron. This is not an easy matter to understand. On the one hand, we all know that the Spirit of God has existed for all eternity in the Godhead. But the word in 739 is that the Spirit was not yet. Is there a contradiction here? There is no contradiction here, but there is a revelation of a great truth which is not easy to articulate, but I'll try. The text here does in fact say, the Spirit was not yet. A number of translators have been troubled by this and therefore added the word given in the attempt to clarify the verse. However, instead of clarifying the truth unveiled here, such an addition actually obscures the tremendous revelation conveyed in the words, The Spirit was not yet. So, To say that the Spirit was not yet cannot mean, and it surely does not mean, that the Spirit of God 
was not yet in existence. The Spirit of God is eternal. The Spirit, as the Spirit of God, always was and always will be without change. But here we have a unique expression, the Spirit. An important clue is given in the text, which says the Spirit was not yet, because Jesus was not yet glorified. If we study John carefully and thoroughly, we see that Christ was glorified in his resurrection. In his resurrection, that is, in his glorification, the Spirit, as the Spirit of God, became the all-inclusive Spirit of Jesus Christ. This is the Spirit who was not yet at the time this was spoken. Now to try to summarize. There is no contradiction here because the Spirit who was not yet is not the eternal Spirit of God who always was part of the Godhead. The Spirit who was not yet is the Spirit in a particular aspect in God's economy. That is, the all-inclusive, life-giving Spirit who includes not only divinity, but also humanity, human living, crucifixion, and resurrection. So this Spirit could not be in its all-inclusiveness until Christ died and was resurrected, after which time the elements of crucifixion and resurrection were added to the Spirit, making it the Spirit. So today, as those who believe, when we open to Him, call on Him, believe into Him, love Him, and receive Him, we receive the Spirit. What Spirit? Not only the Spirit of God, but the all-inclusive Spirit of the God-man, Jesus Christ. This is the Spirit who flows out of us as rivers upon rivers of living water. Thank you, Ron. I think that's very helpful. Let's rejoin Witness Lee. Now, we come to the last point of this chapter. Jesus really is a troublemaker. Why? Listen to this. Christ was the seed of David born in Bethlehem. But he appeared as a Nazarene from Galilee. I don't know why the Lord did this. But I know how he did it. He did it. He forgives me to say this in a sneaky way. He was born in Bethlehem. But he was raised up in Nazareth. So people would not consider him as one from Bethlehem, but rather as one from Nazareth. Don't you know Christ, according to the Bible, should come out of David? And how come he's the one that comes from Nazareth? Don't take care, dear ones, of the outward. Forget about that. You have to see Inside, is there Christ within? 
We all have to know Christ not according to the outward appearance, but according to the inward reality. The whole chapter 7 shows us how the Lord acted as a man limited in every aspect. It's really good. The Lord's source is God the Father, but he came as a man from Nazareth of Galilee. I tell you, this is the principle. With everything concerning the Lord, always the appearance would not be so good. But the contents uh, is always something marvelous. Outwardly, he looked like a Nazarene, without form, without beauty, without attraction. But within, he is what? He's the very God. One day, the Lord Jesus went to Bethany in a little house with just about three persons, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. He was there tearing all the time. Not only so, in the last week of his life on this earth, nearly every night he went there. At that time, in Jerusalem, there was a temple. Here might be just a cottage. In the holy city, there was a holy temple with uh, the priests, everything so attractive. But in this little cottage, nothing. No priest, no priest robe. Nothing. Just two poor sisters and one little brother. But, you know, Jesus, who was the very God, was not there in the temple, but in the cottage. Don't follow Jesus according to the outward appearance. We have to follow him according to the inward reality. That day was so, and today is still so. The principle will remain forever. Praise him. He is with the lowly. He is without appearance while he was on this earth. But if you get into the inside, you could see the beauty of Christ there. Amen. He is not a Nazarene, but he is the seed of David. Let's pause here. I really love, Ron, the picture at the end of this portion. The Lord chose to spend his time, even during the final week of his life on earth, in the small cottage in a small town of Bethany, instead of in the center of the religious world, Jerusalem with its temple. Why do you suppose he makes this sharp contrast? There is a line running all the way through the Gospel of John, and that is the line of the opposition of religion to Christ as life. We read in chapter 
5, for instance, the Lord was opposed because he healed a man on the Sabbath day. In chapter 9, we will see he was opposed again because he healed a blind man on the Sabbath day. Later in this gospel, he instructs us that there will come opposition from religion to those who really care for and appreciate and experience Christ as life. With this background, we can appreciate the incident at the end of John 7, in which the Lord, who is God in the flesh, as life, withdrew from Jerusalem and the temple and all the formal religious observances and practices and stayed in a small house with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. This is very significant. It indicates that where the Lord is to be found is not in religion, but it's in that gathering of those who love him, enjoy him, cherish him, appreciate him, and delight in him. In John 12, we'll see that in this same house, they made a dinner for him. You have a lovely atmosphere full of fragrance and cherishing and love. This stands in contrast to religion with its solemnity and formality and so many things that go with it. Today, if we want Christ as life, he's to be found not in religion as a system, but in and with and among those who receive him, who love him, who honor him, who enjoy gathering together in his name, feeding him, being fed by him, worshiping him, praising him. All of this is implied, I believe, at the end of John 7, when in the midst of religious persecution, the Lord would withdraw to a kind of loving haven in a small cottage. So today, the Lord is still the same in principle. He does not expect a welcome in religion, but he surely appreciates his lovers, his seekers, those who enjoy him, those who will just let him be everything to them, not in the temple, but in their little house. That's where he is. Ron, the subject today of the Spirit may be quite new to many of our listeners. Uh, I understand in the latest issue of Affirmation and Critique, there is an article on this very matter. Yes, in the January 1997 issue of Affirmation and Critique, the lead article is a splendid and clear study of these verses in John 7. The article, written by Dr. Kerry Robichaux, is called Christ, the Spirit, and Glory. I heartily and highly recommend it. Thank you, Ron. If you would like a free copy of today's Life Study message and a gift copy of the Stream magazine, call toll-free at 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's one 888 
543-3788. Or write us at Living Stream Ministry, P.O. Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. In addition, books by Watchman Nee and Witness Lee can be obtained through your local Christian bookstore. Our number again is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. Join us again next week and every week for another Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee. Thank you for listening.